As we consider your word before us this morning, uh, may our hearts not be closed or or deaf to how you would want to speak to us. Um, Make your word alive to us, in us, to the degree that it, it transforms us as your spirit reveals truth about the gospel that is found in Jesus. Um, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Well, do you want to know something? The city of Jericho, it was a buzz. It was a buzz with the news that a procession was on the way and it would soon be passing through that city. Now, this was not an uncommon thing for Jericho as it stood on, on, on a major trade route between Jerusalem and, and, and other cities, Arabia and that. So you'd often get celebrities and, 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 and religious processions just passing through this town on their way to Jerusalem. And as, as word would gather, the crowd would gather and people would come and, and they'd vie to see whoever it was that, that was passing through perhaps in a chance to grab a selfie or a photo or, or Snapchat or wax something on Instagram. Uh, who knows what they were thinking back there. But the bigger the name, the larger the crowd, and the more prominent people would come out to, to line the streets and see who it was that, was that was coming through their town. And Jericho was a town that itself was full of A-listers. Jericho is what we would call a destination city. It was the kind of postcode that you spent a lot of money to go and, and live in. It's a great location to be. Plenty of commerce and trade. Uh, all the latest ideas and fashions would, would wander through Jericho because of where it sat on these, on these major trade routes, on these, on these caravan routes that came from Damascus and Arabia and up into Jerusalem. Jericho was known as the City of Palms. Josephus, a historian of the time, called it a little paradise full of fragrances. Fragrances from the local trees like the sycamore tree and the cypress and, and the balsam trees. It was a tropical oasis due to many of the springs that surrounded the city and the fertile soil that, that, that was there. It also had a wonderful climate just warm we would like to be there today you just wore warm uh, comfortable kind of loose fitting clothing uh the whole year round josephus again says that even in winter the lightest clothing was worn by the people who lived there its skyline was was etched with the outline of four fortresses jericho was a military stronghold one of these fortresses uh was was the royal palace and it had a royal garden. The garden was full of exotic flowers and roses and trees. And it added to this kind of postcard environment of Jericho. And as the breeze would just come up the valley or whatever from the Dead Sea, it carried these fragrances throughout this city, lending to its other nickname, the Perfumed Place. With all of this trade and commerce, all of this military movement, There was also something else to be found in Jericho, taxes, taxes to be paid and lots of them, particularly from tourists and travelling trading parties. For the right kind of person, this was a city not just to live in as a postcode destination, but this city offered great gain, great financial gain. Well, that's Jericho. 
an A-list city with an A-list population just and they just loved being on the front page of any social media that was trending and and today was about as big as it got because as Luke tells us Jesus was passing through on his way to Jerusalem Jesus of Nazarene this carpenter turned rabbi the one that's been doing all these miracles around the place, the one who's been uh, doing, been healing people, uh, healing the sick, trading blows with the religious establishment about what real religion is, what true religion looks like, what it is to really please God within your heart. Not to mention the constant speculation about his true identity. Who is Jesus? What is it that he plans to do? Why has he come? Why is he walking around, uh, travelling from place to place with this ministry of his? Well, this is not something to miss. This is a unique procession, which has perhaps the most trending cultural figure of the day at the centre of it. And as was the practice of Jerichoans, they were out lining the streets to welcome, to watch to perhaps grab that opportunity to be seen with this, with this travelling celebrity, this, this, this travelling itinerant rabbi, and then to be able to go home and tell stories on their take of who Jesus is, what he's like, uh, what he wore, what he said, what he did. They wondered, will he stop? Will he do a miracle? Who might get the opportunity to hear him speak? Maybe, maybe be engaged in one of those famous parables that he's always telling. And Luke tells us in verse 3 that the gathered crowd was so large, so thick, so dense that a certain local resident could not find a place from which he could subdue his interest in Jesus. And here we meet Zacchaeus. For all of Jericho's picture-perfect postcard uh, travel brochure imagery, it also had a seedy underbelly, which the disreputable and the despised took advantage of. And at the top of this list was Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector. Here is a person who had taken advantage of the great riches uh, and great taxes uh, within this city and the riches that could be made from them, which made him pretty much the most hated man in the town. We may feel pity for Zacchaeus, wee little man that he is, but you don't get this gig, you don't get to hold this position because, because you're nice, because you play nice. If you want to place him in your mind, if you want to think about the kind of man, the kind of person that Zacchaeus is, think cartel leader. Think standover man from an outlawed bikey gang who has kind of moved now into business circles and is bringing all of those wiles from that life into that, into that area. He uses all his wiles, he uses all of his, his cunning to produce wealth for himself at the expense of others. Jericho was one of the big three inland tax uh, points, the others being Jerusalem and Capernaum. And he headed up the taxing racket that no one else could avoid, that no one could avoid in Jericho. He was ruthlessly, relentlessly taking his cut and more off the top as he gathered the taxes for Rome 
No one could avoid paying the taxes that Rome demanded. And there was Zacchaeus taking his cut. So he is mega rich, filthy rich in every sense of the expression. But, but no one's clearing a way for this rich man to come to a place of prominence or prestige as, as they line the streets because he is Jericho's most despised man, hated by all. And Luke tells us also that he was small in stature. This is more than just a physical description, though no doubt Zacchaeus was small. But this is also a social description. He is the one that people think little of. They, they think small thoughts about him. He is the butt of their derision. He is constantly ridiculed. He is a, he's a social outcast with no moral compass and no one willing to see him being worthy of being reformed. Zacchaeus is the epitome of a lost soul, lost in wealth and corruption. He stands in contrast in, in this passage with the blind beggar in the previous passage who was lost in, po- in poverty and physical blindness. But worse than that, Zacchaeus is internally small in stature. He is what we might call a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. The more he is despised, the more despicable he becomes. And this is because Not only is he despised externally, not only is he despised by the crowds and the people around him, Zacchaeus is despised internally. He, He hates himself. His constant internal conversation is that it's true what they say. I am beyond help. I am no one's friend. I am worthless. And despite his parents' hopes and dreams... Zacchaeus means the just or the pure. You can imagine his parents coming to the temple and going, here's Zacchaeus. We're going to call him just. We're going to call him pure. And yet, he has become a stench in the perfumed city and a gnarled figure to himself in his own reflection. Rich in power, rich in achievement, rich in possessions, rich in influence, Proud in self-attainment, proud in self-sufficiency, a self-made man. Nobody, nobody comes and tells Zacchaeus what to do. But Zacchaeus is poor in spirit, lonely, bitter and miserable, the very definition of lost. Small in stature is not just how he is, but who he is. And out of everyone that came out that day, This irreligious and corrupt man is the very last person we would expect to to find him seeking Jesus, to find him wanting to come and and see Jesus. Because when you've convinced yourself that you are despised, that you are unlovable, a disappointment, generally the last place or person you feel the desire to be at or see is that of the religious and the righteous in nature. The last thing you need is to be further condemned, further reminded of our sin, our our self-understanding of our condition. And there's a certain pride to that. There's a certain pride to that that that, 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 that attaches to us, that actually judges 
the righteous as being those who will further condemn us. We're not going to give them that kind of pleasure. Well, what made this man decide to endure the the public ridicule and, and further derision of his peers? Was it that Zacchaeus had come to the end of himself? Underneath the superficial facade of his existence was an ever-increasing realisation that there must be more to life. There must be more to him. He was named for more. He Was he created for more? A relentless thirst in him. A thirst that no amount of swindling could satisfy. There's a, there's a disease in the heart of Zacchaeus. And nothing and no amount of wealth or power has brought this man peace. It's what Augustine calls the pain in pleasure that leads us on to seek other alternatives. What led Zacchaeus on? Was it the compassion he had heard of of this man, of this Jesus that he has towards the lost and his kind? Had that unearthed in him a dangerous sense of hope? This Jesus was said to be a friend of sinners, that he would take time to to hear them, to sit with them, to understand them. In fact, Zacchaeus knew some of the people, some of these sinners with this story. They held this story personally. He would, not, he would have no doubt uh, have been, at least at a professional level, a colleague of Levi, the tax collector, who had a story of how Jesus had come and redefined his whole life. We, we read about it in Luke 5, earlier on in this Gospel. He had left everything about this way of life to follow Jesus. Even through a great feast to which a large company of, of tax collectors came and got to sit with Jesus, have a private audience with Jesus, not the socially and religious elite or commendable, but sinners and tax collectors, the despised and those who despise themselves. It's unlikely that Zacchaeus was there, but more than likely that he had dealt with people who were changed people. There exists in Zacchaeus what Alistair Begg calls a deep, nameless, irresistible urge to meet Jesus, to see Jesus, to encounter him. There's a severe dissatisfaction within him, perhaps tired of being hated and hating back. Now a counterintuitive desire, a dangerous desire, dislodges the pride in order for him to to go and and to seek and and to find out about this Jesus. And so this small man tries to see if he can catch a glimpse of this man Jesus. But, but no one's letting him do that. No one deems him worthy of such a privileged place. So back after back is turned on him. There is always going to be barriers. There is always going to be obstacles for the one who feels 
this the irresistible urge to come to know Jesus, to come and seek Jesus, to know if what they have heard is true. The question is, will, will you pursue, will you follow this irresistible deep urge? Zacchaeus does what he has always done. He uses his wiles to get what he wants and to insulate himself to a degree from public shame. Luke tells us in verse 4 that he does what would have been socially condemning. He runs. Respectable Jewish men didn't run. They were were moderated. They, They were in control. They walked places. They didn't run. That was a shameful thing to do. And then he climbs this sycamore tree. That's the activity of children. But Zacchaeus doesn't care. He's pushing through these barriers, these boundaries. Once he's up that tree, he feels a certain amount of insulation from the public scorn. He's hidden. The embarrassment or the discomfort to get there is camouflaged amongst the foliage. And now he waits just to see Jesus. And make his assessment about this man. Just to see him and think to himself, I wonder what he's like. And then his hope is to sneak down from that tree while everybody else heads home and to think a little more. Well, that is until Jesus passes right at the base of this tree and pauses there and stops. The whole procession just stops. And the crowd come alive and they're looking around. This is the moment. They're looking to see who Jesus has spotted. Is it a synagogue ruler? Is it a prominent person? Is it a prominent Pharisee? Who has who Jesus seen? And as the crowd glances around at eye level, Jesus glances up. His gaze goes up and he says what no one thought they'd ever hear. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. And now this restless initiative that that drew, this restless, um, irresistible initiative that drew Zacchaeus out is met by an even greater initiative. The initiative of Jesus to call out a sinner, a despised person, to be the object and recipient of his grace and favour. One wonders if Zacchaeus climbed or fell out of the tree. But something new emerges in his heart. The invitation from Jesus has warmed his heart with joy. To be outed by Jesus from the places of shame, the trees we climb where we hide, away from our stories, does not lead to more shame, does not lead to more embarrassment, more ridicule. But it is the beginning of true acceptance the replacing of the disease and dissatisfaction with joy and peace. But it's no fairy godmother moment where Zacchaeus is just somehow mysteriously transformed, that this joy comes from nowhere. Jesus intends to do business with this man and have a conversation with him. And there is the crowd who are unified in their displeasure that Jesus has gone to be a guest at the house of a sinner. No matter what Jesus thinks about Zacchaeus, his peers still hold a deeply 
ingrained opinions of him, perceptions of him. And sometimes the hardest thing to deal with is not what God thinks of us, but what our peers think of us. Sometimes this can be the thing that holds us back from from stepping into the joy that Jesus offers. But Jesus will continue to go after this broken heart that's been wrapped up in the intoxicating power of of wealth and self-sufficiency. Right here and now, Jesus will show how it is that the wealthy can find salvation. This comes after the alarming news in chapter 18, just before this, that it is nearly impossible for the rich to let go of their wealth and to trust in the Son of Man, to trust in Jesus. And now we have not just a righteous rich man who we encountered a couple of weeks ago, but we have a wicked rich man. And Jesus intends to show that what is thought impossible with you and I is not impossible with God. The phrase, gone to be a guest, gone to be a guest at a sinner's house, means that Jesus has unpacked his bags and stayed the night, spent some time around the family table with Zacchaeus. We don't know what is said by Jesus that leads to the radical and dramatic conversion of Zacchaeus that's described in verses 8 and affirmed by Jesus in verse 9, but we can speculate from what we have seen already in this Gospel of Luke, in which Jesus has called down a woe, a curse, a great sorrow, if you like, on the rich in Luke 6.24, because they take comfort in their wealth rather than the offer of from God in Jesus. Woe! Be warned, you rich people. Perhaps the conversation starts there. Or maybe Jesus recounted his parable of the rich fool in Luke 12, 20, 21, who stored up his treasures in earthly currency, not aligning his heart with what God valued, only to find that the treasures of this world do not convert into a heavenly currency. Do you get that? O tax collector, converter of currencies. Perhaps Jesus explained the spiritual axiom that you can't serve two masters. Your heart is either ruled by your trust in money or your trust in God. One is death and the other is life. And then maybe Jesus spoke of the tragedy of the rich young ruler that he just met the day before who allowed the offer on the table from Jesus to fall to the ground because he just couldn't let go of his wealth. Whatever is said, you can bet your life that Jesus deals with the things that keep this man hiding in trees, that keeps him from standing out in the open, in the presence of God. And grace does its work on the heart of this despised man to turn him into a disciple. The compelling evidence that this has, has taken place, that, that, that this deep heart transformation has taken place, appears in practical terms. Apart from the fact that Jesus says uh, that salvation has come into his world, come into his house, there is practical evidence in place. It is the key symptom 
of the presence of the gospel in a person's life. And that is generosity. Generosity is one of the key evidences of salvation in the Gospels, particularly in Luke's Gospel. And we see it here in Zacchaeus as he encounters Jesus and that has seen him redefine his whole life. It has redefined what brings security and meaning, where he placed his trust. And now out of the mouth of Zacchaeus, behold, flows out generosity. Generosity flows out of a confidence in your forgiveness, a confidence that God is for you, that you don't need to self-save, to self-serve for the accumulation of wealth in this world. So overcome with joy, hope and peace, Zacchaeus is moved to do what the heart of God does and that is to care and give to the poor. And he gives away immediately half of his wealth He unleashes his resources in the care and the well-being of the poor. Zacchaeus could have, upon his confession of sin, we read there, if I have defrauded anybody, and that's not speculation, Zacchaeus is saying, oh yeah, I've defrauded people, will they come? Will they come and find me? This is his confession, this is his admission of guilt. And and he could have just simply followed the requirements of the law and be seen to have done what is right. He, He could have done that. But so great is the riches that he's found in Jesus that he does four times what is required of him to give. After giving away half of his wealth, he uses what is left to 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 uh reimburse those, restore the wrongs that he has done to four times the amount that is necessary. Evidence of salvation, generosity. There can really be no actual saving generosity that isn't evidenced by practical generosity it's not generosity that merits or becomes the means of Zacchaeus salvation the the merit and the means lie elsewhere tied up with the conversation that Jesus has had with him around how Jesus has come to seek and save the lost this generosity is in response to the initiating grace of the gospel that has met the rising dissatisfaction of his heart. Not with more condemnation, not with more shame, but acceptance into the family of God. He is also a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus has turned from dependence on his wiles and his wealth to dependence on God's grace in Jesus. Perhaps, perhaps in all that Jesus discussed with Zacchaeus, He explained the context of his summary statement at the end of this passage. The statement that he gives to the crowd that the the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. That's what you've witnessed here today. That's what you've seen here today. The salvation of the lost. And the reason he could call Zacchaeus down out of one tree was because he would be lifted up on another. 
the reason Zacchaeus could find acceptance and approval with God and come out of hiding in his tree was because Jesus would absorb the wrath and the disapproval on another tree, a cross. Exposed, becoming our shame, taking our guilt, bearing our curse even unto death. It's the exchange of trees, the exchange of sin and shame that melts the heart of this cartel lord to go from a despised, money-laundering, small-in-stature man to a generous, humble child of God, big in riches, deep in deep heart transformation and satisfaction. It's the initiating grace of Jesus to call him down from his tree to come and to seek and save the lost that sees Zacchaeus now full of joy. Augustine spoke to this when he said, you follow close behind the fugitive and recall us to yourself in ways we cannot understand. I wonder... What kind of tree you might climb, you might find yourself hiding in. Climb down. Jesus is calling. He is saying grace awaits. Not cheap grace, not fairy godmother grace, but grace that exposes your sin and deals with that sin. And makes you, the despised, externally and internally, a child of God, full of joy. Jesus went to a tree so that you could come down from yours. This is the love of God. His arms are open wide. Forgiveness, acceptance, deep joy and satisfaction are found in Jesus. Brought with his precious life. For he came to seek and to save the lost, those who are despised, those who think that their lives are not what God would ever stop and pause and say, I must come to your house. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, this passage. We thank you for um, how it reveals to us that you are the great seeker and saver of those who the world would despise, those who would despise themselves. This is the very reason you have come, to find the broken, to find the lost, uh, to find those who feel that they are impenetrable or feel that they have put themselves together and yet find that this is just a meaningless existence. Now our prayer this morning is that uh, for those of us who have encountered this grace that we would continue to enjoy it, that we would continue to meet with Jesus, that we would continue to be a guest in our, in our life, a permanent guest. But for those of us who, who wonder whether or not This God could be our friend, could be our saviour. Our prayer is that we would 
come down out of the trees where we hide and allow Jesus to do business with our heart. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.